The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, humble, riding on a donkey. You came in peace to reconcile us to God. You came knowing you would be betrayed and arrested on Monday, Thursday. And you'd be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and the crowd that shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday, shouted crucify on Good Friday, and you were condemned to death, death on a cross for us. We praise you that you did not come to be served by us, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. There is a time coming when you will come again, not on a donkey, but on a white horse, and you will come to judge the world. And all who have done evil apart from your grace will go into eternal punishment and death will be destroyed and, and the devil and his minions will be thrown into the lake of fire. Call us into your mercy this morning. Call us into this Palm Sunday Christ who is reconciling the world to yourself and guard us from taking upon ourselves the judgment which only belongs to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson. I don't know if you know Sinclair Ferguson. I, I first came acquainted with him at a pastor's conference, I don't know, it was maybe in the 90s, Bethlehem Pastor's Conference, and he spoke on the reality of eternal punishment. And at the end of the message, I felt like I had a 100-pound weight on my shoulders and I could smell burning sulfur. (laughs) Just a good, godly pastor. Well, I just, that's not in my notes. Pastor theologian um, Sinclair Ferguson used the, the term, others have used this as well, of a half-learned Christ to describe a believer with an incomplete grasp of the fullness of the grace and glory of Christ. And it might be said that all the New Testament letters are written to keep us from having a half-learned Christ. Sometimes we may have a half-learned Christ because we haven't been taught or we haven't studied the Bible in the descriptions of the fullness of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the enoughness of Jesus. And sometimes it may be because of our own blindness or unwillingness in unbelief. 
We don't want to receive the fullness of Christ. He will mess with us in our ways. He'll confront us in our sins and our desires. But whatever the reason, as you live with a half-learned Christ, putting that in Colossians' words, a believing in a Christ that's insufficient, you are vulnerable and gullible to all kinds of sinister yet vain strategies of seeking fulfillment apart from him. And the sources of this are many. I have a list, you know, it could be personal frustrations. You think, I need to find fulfillment and, and Jesus is not enough. I'm going to go over here and get wisdom here and kind of add that to the Jesus that I know. It's a half-learned Christ. You might be feeling your inadequacies and sense of not belonging, not being loved, and Jesus is not enough for you. So you go to a person or to a group to get what you were designed to get from the fullness of Christ. Maybe it's disappointment with other believers. Maybe it's disappointment with yourself, with your besetting sins. I go over here to get a fix, to add that to your Jesus. That's the dynamic of a half-learned Christ. You know, I thought about this in our, in our current context in America, in the church. I think, I think it applies to just, to be brief, ethnic harmony, politics, vaccines. And let me say, not only is the danger a danger of putting your hope in secular strategies, unbiblical strategies, rather than in Christ. But the, the point in our passage is that when you buy into that, you come into the church as judge, as disqualifier, as demander. That's really the focus in this passage, is what happens when a half-learned Christ comes into the church in the form of a false teacher or false teachers and begins to speak condemnation, disqualification, not good enough. Ethnic harmony. Look, if you don't see the solutions like I see the solutions, you must not be a Christian. You're defective in your Christianity. Get on the stick and do these things that I'm recommending that I read online or picked up in my best-selling book. Here's another one. Politics. Look, if you don't vote like I vote, how can you vote that way and be a Christian? Hear the condemnation? You, you're not coming into leadership here. You are defective. Do what I do. Fix yourself. There's the demand. And then vaccines is another one. It's just crazy. The vaccines can be done this way. It's just crazy. You, you got a vaccine. You didn't get a vaccine. You, you must not be a Christian. 
Really? People do talk like that. Or you must be defective. You are caving in to the defective in your Christianity because of a shot. So I say that now to catch the relevance of this text. To guard against this gullibility of a half-learned Christ, doubting the sufficiency of Christ, and, and owning that insufficiency of Christ to the point where you condemn, disqualify, and demand from other believers... That's why Paul has written this, to guard against that happening in the church. I, mean, I, I think as, as I was reading this at first, it was like, I was looking at it as, as like an individual, like guarding myself. I went, no, 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 no. He, he's, instruct, he's protecting the church from these voices. That's what's going on in this passage. <laughs> I tell you, I think the, the first two uh, commentaries I looked at on this said, this is the hardest passage in Colossians to understand. I feel great. <laughs> God, give us grace. So, in our text, to guard against this, this falling for the insufficiency of Christ, the, the half-learned Christ, as the false teachers embody it and spray it into the church with damage, Paul says three things. Three things. Disregard three things from these false teachers. Number one, disregard their judgments. Verses 16 and 17. Disregard their disqualifications. Verses 18 and 19. And disregard their regulations, their instructions, their demands. Verses 20 through 23. So number one, disregard their judgments. Verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These, these false teachers in the church at Colossae required a legalistic adhe- adherence to Old Testament dietary laws and religious days. And apparently, they pronounce God's judgment Condemnation on those who did not observe these Jewish laws. And in so doing, do you see it? They were denying the sufficiency of Christ for the salvation of the believers, demanding that something else be added in order to be saved. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Israel and... According to Old Testament ceremonial law, we learn that presently in Israel that meat and dairy cannot be prepared or served at the same time or eaten at at the same time. So we being these American Gentiles, um, there was a picnic table and and it was, it was in a square and somebody was going over here to get meat and somebody went over here to get ice cream. And our, our host, our global partner said, no, 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 you cannot do that. We're going to get, somebody's going to. 
Old Testament laws, dietary laws, religious days, given to set God's people apart, mark them as holy, set apart for God's purposes. Regarding these laws, these kosher laws and the Sabbath laws and laws about Jewish feasts and holidays, Paul writes this in verse 17. These are a shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. A shadow. What does he mean by shadow? So I, I got to think, so let's say I'm, I'm having a picnic on a sunny day <laughs> in, uh, at Minnehaha Falls, and I'm sitting on a blanket, and uh, I'm waiting for, for Kathy to come. And I'm waiting, you know, drinking my coffee probably. And, uh, and, and behind me, she approaches, and there's a shadow. Now, what do I do? Now, do I start having a conversation with a shadow? No. Turn around. Talk to her. You know, think about, you know, voicemail. You know, so <laughs> I couldn't use Kathy again. You know, I, I got a voicemail from Kathy, and I'm listening to her, and she comes in the room, and I said, shh, shh, stop. I want to. <laughs> how, about, how about when, when the new baby's born? I, I love taking pictures of new babies. I took 500 pictures of our first grandchild, or of, of our first granddaughter, literally. I really did. Um, so you're looking at this beautiful baby in the picture, and, and the, the grandkids come in, and they, they bring the baby. <laughs> don't, go, don't bother me. I'm adoring the baby. Shadow, pointer. The Old Testament ceremonial laws were pointers to Christ, shadows of the real thing yet to come. Regarding Jewish laws forbidding foods that set apart God's people as holy, sanctified, and distinct from other people, Jesus says, this is uh, Mark 7, 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said whatever or what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within, out of the heart, come wicked thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder, and adultery, and coveting, and wickedness, and deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, and pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus says, you know, those, those food laws, they were a shadow they were a pointer to the setting apart that I came to establish in the new covenant. Remember the new covenant? I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you to cause you to walk in my ways. In other words, the Old Testament dietary setting apart for God 
ceremonial laws were done away with, with the setting apart for Christ that came in the new covenant, changing us from inside out. Because change from outside in doesn't happen. Likewise, the Sabbath, resting from our work on the last day of the week, was a pointer to the Sabbath rest yet to come that awaits all God's people in the new heavens and the new earth when we will rest from all of our work and rest in Christ both now and forever and ever and ever. Likewise, the Passover, you know, the Passover, it was a pointer to Christ. You know this, that the, the Passover meal is the Last Supper. It's the Lord's table. You know, and, and, and the Passover meal was given to commemorate the redemption of God's people Israel from their slavery in Egypt and had the unleavened bread and the roasted lamb and the bitter herbs and the Israelites who trusted God in Egypt marked their doorposts with the blood of a lamb and God passed over them with his judgment. He forgave their sins and their firstborns were spared and God saved them and brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It was a pointer. The Passover's about what Jesus said on Monday, Thursday. This cup, this Passover cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. This bread, this body is broken for you. They're pointers. So Paul's point, look, since you've been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, disregard those who would condemn you regarding their religious ceremonies of food and observances of days. Disregard their condemnation. There's no condemnation now for us in Christ Jesus, period. His salvation's sufficient. He's enough. He's got you. Number two, disregard their disqualifications. The distinction I see here from the first point is these are extra-biblical qualifications. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, going on in details about visions and things. So, the false teachers disqualified other believers, other believers in the church for not practicing asceticism not practicing strict discipline. They probably had a list, not practicing measures of delineated self-denial, even perhaps inflicting suffering on themselves according to their extra-biblical expectations. The more it hurts, the more spiritual it must be. You want maturity in Christ? Hurt yourself. Deny yourself. 
bracket. I mean, I so know and realize that God comes so near in our sufferings. It is not the point here. The point here is, look, if you're pursuing religious completeness, spiritual satisfaction by banging your head against the wall, your hope's not in Christ. I mean, we're going to see this on Friday. An extreme example of this. Every Good Friday it happens on the world news. Inevitably, some professing Christians will be commemorating Good Friday by crucifying themselves, walking down the streets, bloodied, self-flagellating, whipping themselves, bloody, for some supposed spiritual benefit. Seeking maturity in Christ? Do that. It denies the sufficiency of Christ. You're looking elsewhere for spiritual fulfillment when spiritual fulfillment is to be had in Jesus and in him alone, not from your asceticism. The false teachers disqualified the believers also for not participating in the worship of angels. This is... this is a little sketchy. I don't mean, I mean, sketchy. it's just a little unclear. I'm not sure what's meant at it. I wonder if it means they taught that, you know, you really want to get God's ear, go to Gabriel. Hey, me and Gabe, you know, hey, I went to Gabe and I got, you know, I got this. My, my mother-in-law got healed. And are you, are you doing that? You're not? You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have the maturity. You're not getting the foot. Come, get, get into the angel thing. Could be that, how, that could be how it played out. And the false teachers also disqualified the believers as they boasted about spiritual visions in great detail. That's very interesting. So, boasted. I, catch the boast, I had a vision for you and I will let you into it. Here's what God has to say. He gave it to me. You don't have any vi- What was your latest vision? You don't have any vision? So put the boasting and the visions together. I, I, I don't deny. I mean, Acts 2 says, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, your sons and your daughters will see visions. I don't deny God gives visions, but not for the purpose of boasting and disqualifying other people. That's what's going on in Colossae. Verse 19 says, this, this, such a teacher puffed up with self-importance and pride due to his fleshly mind. And then in, in verse 19, Paul goes on to say, this, this is... This is just a shaft of grace light in this, in this little section that we have. Just the beauty of Christ and the fullness that is ours in him as head of the church. So just enjoy this. I mean, Paul says, this is so di- diabolical what these false teachers are doing or what this false teacher is doing because they do not hold fast to the head. The head of the body, you know the metaphor, 
Church is the body of Christ. The head is Christ. They don't stay attached to the head from which the church is nourished. See it there from, it's from the head. It's from Jesus that we receive all the nourishment we need of his word and his spirit and his promises of his person. This false teacher is not attached to the head. Not being attached to Christ. The false teachers miss out on this dynamic. This is, this is great. Attached to Christ, the church is knit together through its joints and ligaments and it grows not apart, but together under the head. One way to spot a false teacher is, is the impact of their teaching showing that it's divorced from the head as the church grows in opposite directions. Or as the right hand starts fighting with the left hand. It's not attached to the same head. Attached to Christ, the church grows with the growth that is from God. I love it. So... You see how diabolical the false teaching is. The, the false teacher is advocating a religious life, a religious fullness that is actually a path toward malnourishment, division in the church. And if there's growth at all, it's growth that doesn't come from Christ. And if it doesn't come from Christ, where does it come from? The devil. Paul's point here is that when the false teacher claims that you are spiritually disqualified because you don't meet his or her extra-biblical expectations, you're defective, don't believe it. It's a lie. Our qualification to receive all the fullness of God for us is in Christ. Number three. Disregard their regulations. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In other words, look, since you've, you've already died with Christ, why would you put yourself back into slavery to the condemning elemental spirits of this world. Now that phrase is a little unclear. I thought it best makes sense out of it, but going back up to verse 14, where it seems to me that we can say that the elemental spirits of the world are the evil spiritual rulers and authorities who would condemn us as sinners worthy of eternal death. But Verse 14 says, God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands by nailing them to the cross. And he disarmed those rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. So why in the world, if you've already died with Christ and your sins have been nailed on the cross, dealt with on the cross, forgiven, covered, you're clean, why would you then submit to these elemental spirits of the world and do these things that they're requiring you to do for your righteousness, for your 
spiritual fulfillment. Why would you do that? That's what Paul's saying. And then he has this list. They all perish as they're used, verse 22. They're merely human precepts also, verse 22. They're extra biblical directives. Why would you fall for that? Don't fall into their legalism and their demands. They appear as wisdom, but they're not, verse 23. And also in verse 23, they give a pseudo-spirituality that has no power in killing your sin. Powerless in your sanctification. They're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, those presenting the half-learned Christ, the insufficient Christ, the, the gospel's great, but you need gospel plus. Look very spiritual and mature and holy, postured themselves very proudly as they practiced self-denial, seemed wise and sophisticated, spoke of their detailed visions, seemed very religious, but it's a half-learned Christ's religion undercutting the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul just spent all those verses to warn the church against him. Well, now, think about it. You know, never in the history of the world has, has there been so much freedom of publishing. So much anybody can publish anything and it can go anywhere to 8 billion people. It's, it's remarkable. But let me say, never in the history of the church have there been so many professing Christians communicating, writing, tweeting, YouTubing, evangelizing, teaching. And some do so with a grasp of the fullness of Christ. And... It's wonderful. I mean, I get some wonderful um, stuff online celebrating the fullness of Christ. I mean, where do you think I got the Sinclair Ferguson comment? So it's just wonderful. And yet, others write of a half-learned Christ, teaching a Christ that's insufficient and therefore You know, in addition to your Christianity, if it's, lest you be condemned, lest you be disqualified, you need to do this other stuff in order to receive spiritual fulfillment, satisfaction, joy in Jesus. That's a lie. I I thought about that. There's no filter, you know. You know, we have filters to screen our computers from pornography. You can even turn on the violence button. You can, there's no filter, like turn on the half-learned Christ button and keep all that stuff away from me. You got to be the filter. You do. <laughs> Sinclair Ferguson. He summarizes Paul's concern. 
for the believers at Colossae this way. He says, Dear Colossians, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. And you have come to the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. So why would you be gullible to anything that would detract from the fullness of Jesus Christ by insisting that you add certain things to the fullness that is in Jesus Christ already? So, why would you? We don't want to. So, discern we must to screen out those who insist on religious practices to screen or to secure God's grace. Discern we must to, 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 to smell out voices that smack of pride and puffery and superior religious experience such that you feel you don't got it. He's got something from Jesus you don't have and Jesus won't give to you? That's a lie. Smell out the demands of extra biblical expectations that are mere human teachings. Discern what merely sounds wise and what really is wise. Discern what's biblically anemic. I mean, some was just vacant from biblical truth and therefore without the nourishment of the word of Christ. Discern what's merely dependent on human wisdom. Discern what kind of growth is coming to the church from this, this teaching. If it's growth from the head, the body will grow together but if it grows not from God, it will likely grow apart. So Paul says, don't let them pass judgment on you. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't give in to their extra biblical regulations. <laughs> You're united with Christ in his death and resurrection, in his in the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his grace is yours. Stick with him. Abide in him. Rest in him. Grow in him. Find your fulfillment in him. And find your joy now and forever in him. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. This this passage so concerned about protecting us for the fullness of Christ. I pray you work this caution into us, into this church as your people for the glory of Christ, for the building up of our church in faith and in unity and in love and in impact in this world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.